Here's the music. Here it comes. <clears throat> you ready? I'm so ready. Hi, Matt. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? Oh, man. I'm so excited. It's May 14th, 2018. You know what that means? It's podcast time. It's Soybean Fest podcast. Still in season nine, episode two. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Hey. What? Did you escape the room? No. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't tell you how bad it was. How? Come on. Oh, if any of you guys have done these escape rooms where you have to, like, solve clues and riddles and little games, yeah. sometimes you don't make it. Some, not everybody wins. <laughs> not everybody wins. And some, <laughs> some people lose real hard. Oh, yeah? Oh, boy. There wasn't enough clues to help us. <laughs> Who's the we? Just a couple of friends. Yeah. This yeah. is down in Des Moines. Yeah, and there was a scenario, and let's just say we weren't getting it. What was the scenario? It was like this professor who stole these documents, and we were trying to solve clues in order to stop him from stealing documents or something. But it was like cryptograms times yeah. a thousand. Oh. And like word ciphers that only like the BTK killer could solve. So it's. <laughs> It was next level. Was it enjoyable or no? Or no, no, no fun and. and we said it's a poor, and... poor model, business model for, because they, because basically they, we didn't get very far at all, and so it's like not very encouraging for a noobs. But they know? have like speakers and and they're watching you. Did you call out for help or you phone a, a friend for we a got, clue? I or? mean, we we got a freebie clue. Yeah, and then. And yeah. how long were you in the room? Well, an hour. An hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're not going back. We you didn't feel very smart. And, you know, there's a lot of degrees in the room, and yeah. it's like, we can't figure out this cryptogram. Like, what? So, yeah. just go back to picnics and bocce ball and cornhole. That's about all I can do. <laughs> I know we, my limits. We did one a couple of years ago um, with another, like, we had Groupons. Coupons. That's and, how we did it. Yeah, except ours was like you had to have so many people. We didn't have so many people, so they mixed us with another group. And I, I swear there was a guy in the other group that had solved that room, and he was not interested in staying in the room any longer than he had to. And it gets warm with a lot mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I swear they turned the temperature up. Mm-hmm. Even. We said we think it's getting hot in here. Yeah. Not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. Uh, well, you know. Yeah. It didn't go so we did not escape no. oh but we're gonna escape this podcast we're gonna move through this one okay i got so much to talk about oh okay yeah like what well let's go in the way back machine let's go way back to february of this year back on the 28th um there was a bunch of news that spread through the internets and about the um Announcements through, I, I think it's fair to say, the equivalent of the European Union's EPA on their review process for neonicotinoids. Mm-hmm. And there were several articles that came up, and I, I remember seeing these and thinking, oh, wow, that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, but not having the time because I was teaching, and you know, I, you know, I'm a very busy person. I mm-hmm. have a lot going on. Right. You know? reading newspaper articles. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time for it. Uh, but now that classes are over and it's cold and we can't do a lot of field work just yet, I had some time. So I started reading through these. And um, yeah, it's interesting. 
So uh, these are all articles, and I, I sent you a link, and maybe we could post them uh, sure. into the body of the, the podcast there. Um, a couple different takes on the European Union's uh, review, current review of the uh, neonicotinoids used both as seed treatments and in granular form. And this is, uh, there's a couple articles here. One was from The Guardian, paper out of London. Another was from Science, the magazine Science. And the other was the European Food Safety Authority's own review, their own press release on this topic. And I cobbled together a couple of notes on this. I thought maybe I'd share it with you and Kira and our listener and see what the two of you think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, the fr- so all of these came out uh, late February 28th. Um, the the one that was kind of easiest to read in terms of you know just getting to the point came out of the Guardian, and they noted that you know on that Wednesday, um, EFSA, European Food Safety Authority, had found that the risk of bees varied depending on the crop and the exposure route. But quote for all the outdoor uses, there was at least one aspect of the assessment that indicated a high risk. So um, maybe put this into some context, uh, back in 2013, the European Union restricted the use of neonicotinoids on flowering crops where there was some evidence that um, bees were being exposed to neonics. And that restriction was, um, I think it was planned for two years. Maybe it got extended there for another year or so. And then they, while that restriction period was going on, they were accumulating data on their own and then voluntarily from a variety of sources looking at what the impacts could be to uh, from neonics on both honeybees bumblebees and then also on wild bees and they uh, they didn't have any restrictions on what wild on what wild bees they were looking at although they did look at um, they did call out by name a couple of species osmia was one of them um and again, what they so after that process, uh, they issued this report, and um, they note that neonicotinoids, a nerve agent, have been shown to cause a wide range of harm to bees, such as damaging memory, reducing queen numbers, and uh, one of their representatives of their pesticide unit, EFSA's pesticide unit, said the availability of such a substantial amount of data has enabled us to produce very detailed conclusions. There is a very there is variability in the conclusions, and some low risk has been identified, but overall the risk of the three types of bees we have assessed is confirmed. And that was in the Guardian. Um, I went on to their website um, and found their press release, and and boy, there is a lot of information on this. Have you had a chance to look through any of this? When it, for the European stuff, no. Yeah. It's boy, you could spend days going through all of the information that they made available. There's reviews of each of three neonics, clothianidin, thiamethoxam, imidacloprid, and then within those are reviews of data for honeybees, bumblebees, and if available, wild bees, and then tier one, tier two, tier three testing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is... um, the way in which regulatory agencies go through the process of determining if uh, 
oscillable compound is um, going to have regulatory issues. Tier one being sort of base level, looking for information in the literature, maybe some modeling. Tier two being more um, empirical, more lab-based testing, um, and then tier three, taking it further into the field, mm -hmm. as I understand those. Yep. And, and in reading, it seems like there's variation across regulatory agencies, maybe EPA being a little bit different than EFSA, and, and then Asian countries being slightly different. But the overall summaries by the European Food Safety Authority had, in the ones that I was re reading through, data from each of those three tiers. And it was interesting because, you know, they were, there were parts that they said, you know, there's no evidence of uh, harm or there's not enough evidence to make a conclusion or there's plenty of evidence that seems pretty clear. And in, uh, in reading through this, they make uh, a couple of points that I thought were interesting. Uh, one was that neonicotinoids in farm soil can spread via water, wind-blown dust, and nearby ground. This is nothing new to us, right? We've been, I think we've been talking about this on this podcast for a yeah, while. I and think they're water-soluble, so they move <clears throat> pretty easily in groundwater. Yeah, and I think... Uh, our Surface water. I think there's been work done, uh, I know there's been work done here um, at Iowa State and other land-grant universities looking at that uh, movement through wind-blown dust, the dust produced at planting. And they note that uh, the pesticides are absorbed by weeds and wildflowers. Yep. And they note that information on this phenomenon is somewhat limited, but concluded that it could be a way for bees to be exposed to harmful amounts of neonicotinoids. And that is interesting to me because I think what they're invoking is the precautionary principle, which is the difference between uh, European regulatory agencies and those in the U.S., and help me understand this, because maybe this is something that you discuss when you're doing extension work, but my understanding of the precautionary principle is absence of evidence isn't evidence that that effect is absent. And you err on the side of caution. Uh, if there's a chance uh, that something could go wrong, you assume until you have evidence that it's not going wrong, that, that it could. Yeah, I definitely think it's a more conservative approach, and the links that you sent me basically said there there could be some risk to these three groups of bees, and so because there could be some risk, basically they're they're being really conservative when it comes to, I think it's 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 crops or is it all use? Yeah, uh, so their uh, recommendation is um, a, extending their proposed the, the existing ban. For all field crops, okay, but allowing um, for use in greenhouses, okay, because like if you you go to any of the big box stores, that's one of the most common active ingredients that a homeowner can pull off the shelf and use around their home. So do you think it'll <coughs> extend to homeowner use as well? Yeah, I didn't read that okay. far into the documents to see if they um, if they isolated the homeowner use. Uh, it was. Most of the, well, all the data that I saw was focused on um, the two main crops, corn, mm -hmm. they call maize, yeah. and uh, oilseed rape, okay. what we would call canola. Yeah. And then there were studies from other, uh, 
other systems, but those were the two biggies. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, they note throughout, and this isn't um, you know, newsworthy, but, um, you know, bees typically don't use corn uh, uh, as a forage, although there's some evidence that they will use corn pollen if there's nothing else available. Certainly um, not this time of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, yeah. Um, but uh, oilseed rape or canola, highly attractive uh, as a forage and one that uh, honeybees really respond positively to mm -hmm. um, in terms of foraging and then using that to produce honey. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, uh, I didn't see a lot in there on the homeowner, yeah. you know, garden, urban environment. Starting with agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing that was kind of interesting about this was, you know, this is a report done by this agency, the European Food Safety Authority, and they note that this is their sort of recommendation. Um, it is hoped that there would be a vote early in 2018. So all of these came out in um, in February. These were, you know, their report, and then the reports on the report. Uh, on the 22nd of March, the Commission's Standing Committee on Plants, Animals, Food, and Feed is set to discuss this report. Um, and then they noted that there was no date scheduled yet for the vote on the Commission's proposed expansion of the ban. And I, I think that's where it stands. Okay. I didn't see any uh, anything that came out of the 22nd March. Um, I think there was some reporting, but nothing from that Standing Committee. So. In some ways, uh, even though the report and, and, and reviews of the report are fairly clear, you know, they're making a definitive statement, uh, nothing has been acted upon yet, as far as I know, for um, how the European Union would deal with the sunsetting of their initial restriction and then future well, it would be a proposed expansion of that restriction. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, so it might look the same or it might be expanded, not likely to be more restrictive than it was before. So that's, yeah, I think time will tell. Maybe we'll know more this summer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of the issues that we're dealing with here about the movement of those products at planting or through subsoil uh, surface water or surface and subsoil uh, water movement uh, are things that they're picking up on in Europe, but they know there's not a lot of information on those issues. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it, it seems like there was some uh, clear language about, well, we, we, we think there's a, a risk here, but it's reading in it, there's still a lot yet to be known. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, it sounds, I, now that I'm listening to myself talk about this, I sort of feel like, well, it's not very satisfying, but what are you going to do? It's in the news, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially as millions of acres of corn are being planted, the topic comes up every spring about, like, the off-dusting uh, mm -hmm. of this insecticidal seed treatment. So I think timely, too bad we just don't know more. Yeah, and it, how, you know, uh, how much of an effect do you think what goes on in the European Union will have on us here in the states. Well, I, I could see if they started uh, restrictions on export. Well, 
imports from America. Uh, if they do residue testing, and they, I mean, I don't think they will, uh, but they could be, you know, they don't even want residues on grain, that kind of thing. I don't think that will happen, but um, certainly what happens in Europe could affect our agriculture, our exports. Uh, a lot of the products that we use are generated in, or, you know, the chemistries are made up in Europe. So if they're not using it, they're probably not creating it either. So there might not be additional neonics being formulated. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this could. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, you know, thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah. You could imagine if if the market for these types of active ingredients is being restricted, innovation in future developments may be limited. The, I, I could just see them going in different directions, but that might not be a bad thing for us as well. So just finding different active ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. That, uh, a couple of places they interviewed scientists that may have contributed to the reports indirectly by having their work cited and uh, one professor said um, that you know in limiting the use of the neonics that could also help in prolonging their use because mm-hmm. one of the concerns that they, they pointed out repeatedly was that the um, somewhat surprising longevity in the soil and being picked up by other crops, and that that would extend the exposure to insects that are targets, and so you run the risk of greater resistance developing to these products. Definitely um, accelerating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, was kind of, I was kind of wondering, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, if you ban it, well, so what if they're still susceptible? You you don't have use of it. Mm-hmm. So it, I could imagine in the background there's discussions going on about well. Some crops may need that product because there may not be um, alternatives readily available. So is there some negotiation about, well, yeah, we could restrict this, but you know, are the alternatives worse? Uh, or are, are there even alternatives? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out. I, I imagine sometime this summer we'll hear even more. And we'll continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. How's that? Good. I have a few random tidbits. Oh, yeah? Um, last, last time, our first podcast of, of Season 9, we kind of talked about pest activity. But I wanted to also give a shout-out that ticks are active oh, and yeah. uh, good numbers this year. Oh, yeah? And so um, just uh, something to think about. If you're in areas with grasses or uh, tall vegetation, the ticks are out. So if you or your dogs are looking for mushrooms or whatever people do in the spring, uh, just be aware that the ticks are out and thirsty. They're so hungry. And uh, I got a little information from the Iowa Department of Health, and there were 254 positive cases of Lyme disease in Iowa. Remember, I was one of them. Oh, yeah. And then there was also 17 cases of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So it's, it's, and it's increasing over the last couple of summers. So... If you have a tick that's attached, you may want to visit your medical doctor uh, sooner than later. And then uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Andy Joseph. He's our IDELS, our Iowa Department of, of Ag and Land Stewardship. He's our state apiculturist. Is that right? He's our state honeybee yeah. guy. And uh, he also has a very successful honey and beeswax candle business called Metal Blazing Star. Oh, yeah. Is that and what I'm I just, seeing here on the counter? Yeah, and I just picked up a box full of honey for a few people here 
uh, at Iowa State, some co-workers, and he has a lot of different kinds of honey. He sells it at co-ops and a few other farmers markets. So just wanted to give a shout out to Andy and Meadow Blazing Star. Thanks a lot for coming up to Ames, dropping off some honey. Do you have a fit, Matt? Um, I do. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. I'll bring it. I, well, because I know you're talking about bees and uh-huh. talking about honeybees. And so I was curious to know how many states have the honeybee as their state oh, insect. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, all right, let me go through the list real quick in my head. Um, mm-hmm. I know at least um, uh, Utah. Check. Um, I suspect... Um, I know there was one of the 13, I thought one of the 13 original um, had this as well. Sure. Um, was it Massachusetts? Nope. Oh, shoot. Delaware? Nope. Um, well, now I'm just spinning out of mm-hmm. control. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's at least 16 as the state insect. 13? 16. 16. But some also have like an agricultural insect or think they have additional things besides just the state insect. Yeah. And so um, I counted just the ones that it was a state insect. So it includes Arkansas, Georgia, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, New Jersey, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Utah, Vermont, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Another fun insect trivia or fit. What is Iowa's state insect? Uh, um, you know, somebody told me this. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was monarch, but I, I think I might be wrong about that. Monarch is probably the, the number two this, state insects yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, around the United States, but it's a trick question. There Iowa, is no. There is no. That was, uh, that, yep. But I think I heard somebody like, say there was a petition, right? Yes. For the monarch. There was a, some interest to get monarchs and, and maybe, I think, a seven spot or one of the lady beetles. Uh-huh. Uh, some interest in petitioning that, but it never never came oh. to fruition. So, uh, Iowa does not have, Come on, guys. Can we get yeah, a state insect going? I mean, what, and get we, something a little bit more down, creative. What are they doing down there in Des Moines? I know. Get busy. What would you pick? Probably wouldn't be the honeybee or monarch just because it's been there. Uh, I mean, come on, we can get a little more creative. Oh, that's a good. That's a good thought. You know, um, what would we do? That's native here. Yeah, long pause. Not good for podcasting. We'll have to come back to that. Prairie, fertilary. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I like the dog bane beetle. Mm. It is gorgeous. Oh, it is beautiful. Yeah, that's a that, and that's unique. Uh, Yeah, that would be nice. And 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 who who doesn't like uh, shiny metallic? critter that doesn't really do much but just look nice and yeah i kind of feel the same way about milkweed aphids they're adorbs they're so cute and they usually pack it on on milkweed i don't think an aphid would probably ever make the state insect list but you know i I throw my hat maybe we could maybe we could do an online voting poll yes sounds good well that was a good one all right yeah um maybe just two other things okay if you're into weather which maybe who is it? Our listener is. Um, we're no longer in a La Nina, and uh, the next couple weeks around Iowa are going to be warmer than normal temperatures. I've heard the temperatures are supposed to be up in the 80s. I'm going to Washington, D.C. Mm. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think it's either tomorrow or Wednesday, high of 90. Oh, are you going to be dressed up in 90 degrees? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, oh, gosh. 
That's going to be miserable. And, yeah. and it's going to, you know, they haven't yet drained the swamp, so it's probably going to be humid there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All well, right. Look. Anything else? I think we're good for this time. All right. This was good. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back next week. Okay. Thanks, man. All right. Man. We're doing it. Talk to you later. <laughs>